Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, where we explore the muse and music from the North Shore to the South Shore, from New York City to the Hamptons, on the island of Long here in New York. I'm Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. Stay tuned as we explore the Long Island Sound. This is a really wonderful podcast with my good friend, Kevin McLeod. I tell you, you're in for a real treat. If you believe in the transformative power of music, you've got to hear Kevin's music. Kevin is an absolute cross-pollinator between blues, jazz, folk, and his rock influences. We're going to hear a couple of his original songs. The first one here is Sacred Place. Beautiful song from his latest album, and the second one is Nobody's Friend. Uh, and we kind of break down uh, his process and his uh, take on the Long Island Sound. So stick with us. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited to be here with, believe it or not, an old friend from high school named Kevin McLeod. One of the first guitarists that I met in high school and said, wow, this guy really knows what the hell he's doing with a guitar. And uh, I've been enamored by that ever since. Uh, We reconnected. Uh, We don't live very far from each other uh, uh, on Long Island. And I tell you, if I read Kevin's whole bio, it'd probably take up the whole podcast episode. So I'm going to kind of go over a few things. the Kevin McLeod band plays uh, original rock music, and he has a separate band called the Tone Healers that plays original jazz composed by Kevin himself and other band members. And they also do some jazz classics. We're going to hear uh, a, a few of his songs from uh, the uh, Careless Truth CD. Those are rock songs uh, that the Kevin McLeod band um, plays. Now, what's interesting about Kevin, Kevin has a foot in a band on Long Island and also has a foot in New York City. So it's a an interesting bridge uh, between the two areas. So we're gonna kind of talk about that. Uh, I believe what, what, what Kevin believes that music really does have a transformative power in our world. I think it has the power to heal, the power to enlighten us to social justice issues. We'll talk about that. Um, And uh, we'll talk about, you know, what happened on Long Island and kind of give our impression of the Long Island sound. So whether it comes to blues, jazz, folk, or rock influences, uh, this guy's got it all. So I want to welcome my good friend, Kevin McLeod. Welcome, Kevin, to the Long Island sound. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for that introduction. It's, uh, It's nice to chat with you about music here tonight. Yeah, so I, Kevin and I were talking early, and I look at it as two bees talking. Me, the wannabe, uh, a musician, uh, falling way short, and the worker bees that we beat on the Long Island Sound. And man, you're a worker bee. 
you got a lot accomplished in the decades that you've been playing. So um, let's let's kind of roll it back, Kevin. Um, just kind of give me, you know, when did you first pick up an instrument? What were your influences to say, hey, I, I want to play and sing and write? When did it all begin for Kevin? Well, for me, it all began in the same place, uh, you know, you were in high school, right, Steve? Yeah. Um, I think... I think we were in high school at, I may be prejudiced, but I think of the 1970s as kind of like a golden age for recorded music and rock music in particular. Because you had the end of like, you know, singer, songwriter, progressive rock, people were doing everything. But then you also had punk rock and new waves starting into the 70s into the 80s. So there was just so much exciting music around. and when I first started playing in high school, I bought an acoustic guitar. You know, I loved Neil Young and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And hey, Stairway to Heaven had that great acoustic guitar opening, right? Yeah. So sure. um, I loved all that music. And, you know, I, I also was listening to The Who and Led Zeppelin and Yes. And, uh, you know, I got into electric guitar soon afterwards. Nice. And, um, you know, from there, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, to perform a bit. Now, I think I you have... actually probably were there for both of my first public performances, Steve, at our junior show. I remember playing it soon. Oh, and then I had a band by the senior show, and we played yep. a bunch of tunes. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into that senior show nightmare. Uh, I still have nightmares about it, but not, not with your <laughs> performance. But uh, I think we could do a whole podcast on the uh, senior show. Uh, it was just... Uh, the actual good, but it was a freaking train wreck <laughs> from what I remember. <laughs> you know? But so, so did you come from, so we talked about the radio influence and, and the, the, the uh, people that we both enjoyed, Neil Young and what have you. Um, but did you come from a musical family where were you the only one? Do you have, like for me, uh, I have sisters who are um, a decade older than me. So I had their record collection uh, to, steal from because they would lock it in their rooms and uh, for those who don't know uh, we had things called vinyl and records that we used to play uh until we wore the needles out on our phone or turntables so uh did you come from a musical family kev i did not and um let's see i had an older sister but she was really not into music so and uh some two younger sisters as well but i was kind of the one who was somewhat musically adventurous and listening to more than uh you know whatever was on the radio in terms of am pop music back in the day right so um i I would be bringing home the records that my parents would object to and (laughs) i would find imminently fascinating nice nice yeah you know it's interesting we were you know so we both graduated high school in uh, 1979 and it was a golden age it was really the golden age of fm radio really you had WLIR on Long Island that uh, back in the day, the DJs would pick their own songs to play and, and they each had a character about their shows. So there was that freedom of uh, uh, getting to, to new listening experiences. And I almost liken it to, I listen to WFUV radio, the Fordham radio station, because I think it's great that uh, I can't even listen to pop music. No offense to the pop music lovers out there. It's just... Um, I, and I can't do bubblegum anymore either, so, uh, so that's what kind of ties into it. So you don't, okay, so there's hope for uh, the up-and-coming singer-songwriters that don't come from a musical family. 
did you did you jump in? You take lessons? Were you self taught, Kev? Like, how did that go? Uh, I think a bit of everything. Um, I, I back in high school, I certainly taught myself a few things, but I did um, study with someone for a year or two who taught me, you know, kind of basics of. Um, reading some music, also oh. the basics of guitar playing, both in a, a folk, you know, acoustic kind of picking context and um, electric guitar. And that uh, educational background, that was really all I had as a, a musical education. Um, and that Ooh. held me for a number of years until, uh, you know, um, again, going back to the types of music that were available. I mean, I was into progressive rock, which got me into jazz fusion that was happening at the time wow. that got me into more traditional jazz. And the deeper I got into more complex music, the more I wanted to demystify it and figure out how it worked and how to play it. And at that point, I studied with someone else who taught me more about, you know, voice leading and the way scales and chords work and more complex music theory and harmonic theory. And then that was the education that kind of was able to take me into writing and playing jazz as well as rock. You know, I find interesting is um, a lot of people will talk about their skill on their particular instrument. And for us novices out there, um, the development of the ear is, is really important. Did you did that come easy to you or, um, you know, as far as knowing where you were with pitch and, and what have you? No, I think there's a couple of things that, that go on there. I mean, certainly developing your ear is important in terms of even getting a knack for, let's say, phrasing. Okay. I'll say this, after playing in rock bands for X number of years, when I first started playing jazz, I think it took me a couple of years really to kind of relax into the kind of phrasing that you do when you're improvising in jazz as opposed to a rock band because the swing feel is totally different than a rock feel you know or the different kind of grooves you might have in a rock band or funky feel or whatever right. um, i think that's kind of what takes more time and another thing that i, I think when thinking about music i think people pay or overemphasize maybe sometimes technical aspects whether it's the technical technical aspects of actually operating your instrument okay. or even the technical aspects of understanding music and theory and what to play when because the third part of the picture is what music is all about which is communication right steve yeah, yeah and absolutely. that's like a separate thing in itself how do you dig deep inside yourself and pull something out that you can translate and share via your instrument and that's kind of the third part of the discipline that's interesting you know what i, I always am amazed at and uh it's kind of looking at a movie a second or third time around almost like binge watching when i watch musicians play together particularly those who have that vibe between them. And, and my curiosity goes like, how the hell are these guys communicating? Like, you know, it's a look, it's it's a nod. It's, okay, um, Billy, he's going to run with this right now. It's got to be very different from, with jazz as opposed to rock as far as, you know, you, can, you know when the solo is coming up, you know. Uh, jazz, uh, uh, and I'm totally ignorant when it comes to jazz, you know. Um, so you're going to help educate me and others uh, on this on this podcast, but I heard it said, and I, I can't attribute who, who it is. It was a famous guitarist who says, uh, you know, it's where you start 
and, and it's important where you end up, but in between, that's where the magic kind of lies, you know? So uh, it's, it's interesting that's, to watch. That's definitely true, Steve. And, you know, both depending on the type of, you know, rock music you play or even folk music or, you know, country music, there's bluegrass. There are uh, improvisational aspects to all the different styles of music. Jazz, obviously, the most heavily improvisational. And in all of those contexts, sometimes, you know, there's an agreement, right, before you start playing over what the form is. We're going to play the melody, then we're going to, you know, take turns improvising over these chord changes, or maybe we're going to do something else and take it out, or maybe the form is going to be more open-ended. Um, but I would say the best and the most magical aspects of when you're improvising are kind of like what you said before, where sometimes it's just, you know, a nod or a look. You can get into places where, with musicians, you know really well where not even that happens. Everybody just kind of knows and recognizes through the collective music that's being creative where to go next that's going to make it the best, right? That's going to continue that conversation that's going on. So what's interesting is you have this conversation going on about, you know, with, about in between band members. And for me, uh, for the audience to, to kind of watch that, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I, I always like plugging other guys, you know, I, Mike Nugent who, who needs to teach me a lot more on guitar. Um, he was doing a Dave May. I requested Dave Mason. And he was just playing with another acoustic guy named Jim Small in a small pub, uh, you know, a few months ago. And he took it, he took it in a totally, to me, an unsuspected direction, you know. Uh, maybe he knew where he, go, he was going, maybe he didn't. And I was just smiling to myself because I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. And I think that's where that, you know, music heals the world, in my opinion. You know, that, that's where you, it brings the smile. It's giving me goosebumps now. It's not kind of wacky. And, I have, and I'm not on any medication right now. Um, <laughs> it's not wacky. I mean, that, that is the beauty of music. And to me, that's what I love, too, about if I do hear um, a band playing a piece that I know, I love it when they take it in an unsuspected direction or if, they start to improvise on it and that goes someplace um that might be unexpected or it might be expected but um just the phrasing and the beauty of what's happening you know grabs me and i can appreciate that yeah you know what's interesting too is um you'd probably know more of the composers who will uh, go outside a, a typical chord structure and take something that wow I, I don't know where to go with that. And it comes out, so I, Paul McCartney's been uh, like that, taking a chord structure in a different, Steely Dan, uh, certainly. Um, and I think that's where it's it's, it's really kind of magical. Because, And I'm going to give you the anti, I'll play devil's advocate, you know, um, the formulated music scene, whether it's uh, whether it's American Idol, uh, you know, you can predict where they're going to go with things and, and meeting the uh the expectations of the marketplace uh is sad to me it's sad to me it, it, it becomes kind of ugh, here we go again you know uh david Grohl talks about that give me the garage band who experiments and and puts their emotion and their guts and their uh you know every fiber in, into their music and into their chops and wood shedding it and getting it done and then taking it somewhere else uh that's the smile that I see between musicians, which is, is kind of cool. Hey, we're gonna, I'm running out of breath. We're going to take a short break here, uh, Kev, 
And when we come back, I, I want to kind of touch, I mean, you're in like all these different bands. So I want to give each one their credit. Tell me how you, you know, the Tone Healers and, uh, you know, how, how the Kevin McLeod band came about. So when we get back, let's talk about uh, Kevin's musical adventures. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hi, Steve Yusko from Gig Destiny here. Well, as you're probably listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about that musician who'd make a fantastic guest here on the Long Island Sound. Well, we'd like to hear their story. We'd like to hear their music. So have them reach out to us at gigdestiny.com and we'll explore their craft. Now, back to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Steve Yusko with Gig Destiny. And if you're joining us in the beginning of the middle of the podcast, we're here with my good friend, Kevin McLeod. And, and Kevin, you know, you're, I looked at your bio and I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Kind of cool stuff. Tone Healers, the Kevin McLeod Band, True to Life. Kind of give me a, a, a lay down. So, and we touched upon this earlier. And I really think you have a foot in New York City and a foot on Long Island. So, Tell me where it began, you know, with the bands that, that you have your signature on. Well, I, as you kind of noted there, I have very diverse influences. Um, and whereas some people kind of like stay in, you know, whatever particular music they start out in or wherever they make their first contact, whether it's rock or maybe the acoustic scene or jazz, I've kind of always liked all of those different areas of music mm. and because of that I've kind of gigged and recorded in all of those different areas of music also um, and I lived in New York City for about seven years okay. so um, my first New York City jazz band which was true to life and um, I still make music with those guys from time to time both gigging and doing recordings that band was started while I was living um, in New York City. Okay. And th that was a very interesting band because back in the early 90s when we were gigging quite a bit, um, you know, and opening up for some named people and playing some of the bigger places in New York City, there used to be a magazine called Musician Magazine that was like the cool magazine at the time. And okay. every year they would kind of have a, a big thing about, you know, who the 12 best unsigned bands were and thousands <laughs> of bands would, uh, would submit uh, recordings. And True to Life was named one of the 12 best unsigned bands back in those days. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It was... It's nice to get that so, accolade, yeah. So that's where kind of like the jazz and the jazz funk thing came in a lot through that band. Um, when my wife and I moved back to Long Island, um, you know, after starting our family, and I've always been working a full-time job while I've been doing all of this, too. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and and raising a family, yeah. Yeah, at that point, I started playing in, you know, different bands on Long Island, as well as every now and then doing a, you know, a New York City gig, um, and then both playing jazz, and I got into playing um, acoustic guitar and doing acoustic guitar gigs with one of the guys from the jazz band who also wrote songs and wrote music. And we eventually released a CD, uh, my buddy Phil DiStefano as DiStefano and McLeod, and that was around 1999 when CD, not just CDs, but um, the internet was first starting to take off. 
And we we were so uh, pleased because, you know, we released the CD and it was at a time where we really could contact all these like NPR and independent stations. And they were very receptive. We got a lot of airplay from that uh, particular recording. Oh, that's great. It's and yeah. it's such a it's just such a different world now when it comes to that. It seems to to be a jungle of stuff. I mean, uh, business has changed. You know, every you can be the artist, the producer, the mixer, and, and everything, and, and put it up in in a matter of minutes, literally. Um, but it can get lost in the shuffle too. And we can go into the Spotify that you know gives point zero zero four cents for a stream that's played and robs the. Uh, musicians of, of uh, their due and their income, which uh, not to get on, on the negative. And that, that's why I, I, I like the idea of a podcast. It's a way for um, us to explore, uh, you know, what's behind the curtain, so to speak, you know, and how you approach things and, and, and feature some songs. So that's exciting. So you, met, so you have these guys. Now you're, now you're on Long Island. So what developed on Long Island? So on Long Island, like I said, I, I was playing in a jazz group on Long Island that played both standard, some of my music. You know, we played some of the restaurants, you know, the mm-hmm. different festivals and stuff throughout the course of the year. And eventually me and the other guitar player broke off. We recorded that um, more acoustic folk oriented CD. Okay. And following that, I got more into thinking about a lot of uh songs that I was writing at the time that I thought were going to have a little bit of a harder sound, as well as the fact that um, my buddy Phil, who I was gigging with at the time, he and his wife moved to Chicago. So at at that point, my partner was gone. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just go into the studio by myself and I'll get a good drummer and bass player and I'll get these songs recorded. And that's what I did for my first Kevin MacLeod CD called The Road Home. that features Alan Prota, a really great local bass player, and John Michelli, who was Meatloaf's drummer for years and years and years. He also oh, played wow. with Blue Oyster Cult and Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Great, great drummer. Um, nice. So that was my first CD. After that, um, I eventually did a second CD, Careless Truth, that you're going to play some songs off of. I played lead mm-hmm. guitar in the Kathy Flashman band for about three or four years in New York City and on Long Island. We recorded wow. a CD together. And I did a bunch of other, you know, projects for other people where I would uh, contribute guitar parts. Oh, that's great. You know what? Uh, so, uh, an observation. So, what I find interesting about your career is the collaborative spirit that you have in working with these different bands and different people. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's hap- happenstance, you know, meeting different people. But I think, as, as I talk to musicians... Uh, and not to categorize them, but there are some that are not very collaborative and some that are very collaborative. And I, I think that when you put yourself out there uh, and expose yourself to different circumstances of playing in different groups, man, it just, it's got to enrich your music. Um, question for you. Yeah, let's talk about writing songs for a minute. So the songs that you've written, um, do you work with another lyricist and in most cases? Is it... Is it all you as far as lyrics and music? Uh, what comes first? That famous question I always ask. Yeah. What happens to happen for you, Kevin? It, it, it's all me. I tend to write the lyrics and the music. Um, all right. So you're selfish. Okay. I am. Got that. All right. <laughs> Check. All right. We're, we're, all right. So if you haven't realized, Kevin's the total diva, and I just wanted to point it out. <laughs> no. 
joking. Go ahead. All right. So it's you. Yes. Um, and I and I tend to think of my songs almost as little movies, Steve. I mean, if you listen to enough of them, you, you'll eventually kind of notice that they are either a character study or I'm trying to make a point about something or, you know, maybe I'm telling a, a different type of a story. But, you know, there I, I try to, you know, within three or four minutes, paint a vivid picture about something. That's always my goal. OK, gotcha. So uh, let me ask you, the early songs that you had written, and I've, I've spoken to people about this, a lot of times people will go through an evolution of um, writing in the first person, writing about their, directly about their experiences, and some don't. You know, some evolve to, you know, researching and, and speaking outside of themselves and through their observations of other people. Did you go through that sort of period, or was it more mixed up for you? I would say it's always been more mixed up, you know, and, okay. and even today I, I could write something that's very personal or by the same token, I could read something or meet someone else and be so taken by a, a conversation or again, like I said, something that I've read, someone I've met that that will um, spark an idea and mm -hmm. a song will come out of that. So, all right, so you're working full-time, obviously still. The muse strikes you. How do you capture that muse, so to speak? Um, do you talk into your iPhone and list something, hum a, a melody, and, and go back to it? How, you know, I know it's probably different every time, but I'm just curious about your method. iPhones are great for this, Steve. <laughs> you can ask my wife. Before iPhones... <laughs> I constantly had like little pieces of paper, you know, in my pockets <laughs> because in the course of the, of a day, if like, you know, sometimes you just get an idea for a line. You're like, oh, what a great line that is. You got to write it down sure. someplace so that you remember it, you know, write it, collect them all later on. So I used to constantly have like a million papers with, you know, lines or phrases or, you know, scribbled on them. Now I either talk into my phone or I use the notepad feature in my phone and I'm constantly throwing in a line or two or maybe a whole verse will come to me or I'll think of something and uh, that'll give me ideas for continuing something that's already been started. Yeah, I know. I, I use the, uh, the iPhone as well. I'll hit the, you know, the, the record feature and I'll throw on a phrase. I'll say idea for this and I'll, I'll knock it out. Um, a lot for me happens in the car, maybe because I'm isolated and looking at something. I just this is going to sound weird, but when I used to drive to my other job in the past couple of years, and I wrote this down, I got to write a song about it. Maybe you can do the music for it if I let you, or maybe I'll do it all by myself. I don't know. Maybe I'll take a page out of the Kevin McLeod book. There you go. But but uh, so I'm driving along on Route 110, middle of the Long Island. For those who don't know. And there is a tree growing out of the sewer grate. It's really like a big weed, but to me it looks like a tree. And I'm just looking at it and saying, there's a story there. There's a story there and there's, there's a, a lyric. So I, I just want to, you know, public notice that this is my idea. No one can steal it. And Too late, Steve. That. I just started writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, it's... I tell you, you know, we, we, we're, uh, the light is at the end of the tunnel with COVID, in my opinion. Maybe I'm just very hopeful and op optimistic. But one of the things that I experienced, least from a poetry and creative writing aspect, was, uh, you know, they talk about the great retirement, right, in the news. You know, people right. saying, hey, I've had enough of commuting into the city. I'm not doing that again. I'm going to change my life. 
Um, if there's a silver lining to what has happened over the past couple of years, I, it's that um, look into um, smelling the roses and, and writing some things down and getting in that creative process. Uh, and by the way, I am totally guilty of having probably 2,000 iPhone snippet recordings that I haven't acted on. A few I have. Uh, but I'm so, I've also, just like you, Kevin, where something, I was in Baltimore once and something really struck me. I happened to see this choral group in a, in a, in a poor African-American church in, in western, um, western Baltimore that was just one of the joy, most joyous places I had ever been. I was so struck by that. I, I asked my wife, Debbie, I'm like, look, can you drive? Because I just got to write, the, I got to write this down while it's fresh. And I built it out. It turned out to be just a little, um, little blog that I wrote, but I still go back to it. And it's just kind of hit me. You know, it's like, I, I got to remember this. I got to put it out before. And my sometimes you do have to do that in the moment, right? Because you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to lose the feeling. You, in fact, you don't want the feeling to be like reminiscing about the feeling. You want to be express, you know, like get right to the meat of it while you've still got it. Right. And express right. that. Right. And that's, that's the complications I think that we have. So I think the iPhone obviously is a blessing and a curse. You know, it, it can be that great tool if you use it the right way to capture these things. But it can also be a distraction when that, that you know, you got to turn off the notices, you know, as far as the message, you know, the, the text you get or the reminder that you get that, I don't know, maybe I have ADD. It kind of just, you know, hey, look, squirrel. Okay, <laughs> you know, forget it. It's, it it's, it's totally gone, you know. So um, it's interesting. Now, have you, have you done songs? Have you collaborated with other people as far as lyrics go or more on the music side of it? Um, for most of my songs, I've written the music and the lyrics, you know, like maybe okay. years and years ago, um, I collaborated a little bit with some friends, um, on the jazz stuff. Again, mostly I write by myself, but the true to life band, you know, my New York city band, Okay. we write a lot as a group where oh, cool. the, um, the communication is almost telepathic. We don't even say what we're going to play, what key we're going to play in, what chords we're going to play. We just start playing. And as wow. soon as something cool happens, we all look at each other and we're like, okay, that's part of a section and we'll keep going. And as soon as something else happens that we recognize, okay, that's the B part of this. And eventually oh, we put it all together and you know, organize it into a tune. You know, I, I, the analogy that I use when it comes to music or the development of music has a lot to do with food and kitchens and recipes. And, uh, you know, hey, we've all, maybe not all, but we have the experience where, you know, some relatives come into the kitchen, everybody knows their part, and somehow they put it all together, you know, and the sauce, and the sauce comes out great that day. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, not always, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to have that instinctual relationship and, you know, it's one of those things that um, are pretty magical. I'll tell you just a short thing. And, and by the way, Steve Yusko, the host, is a total amateur, lousy guitar player and probably a pretty bad singer because for years I tried to sing like Neil Young to my wife, straightened me out. And uh, anyway, um, in any group, even a new group, when everyone's trying to find their footing and influence or help each other, uh, it can be a messy a messy situation. We had that with, with our little church group where very good intentions, but you had to realize how to deliver the message. We had, we had a drummer, this guy, Rob great. He had an ear for vocals. Like you wouldn't believe 
we had a group of ladies, uh, a mom, a daughter who could sing harmonies, and it just kind of came together. And it he became like their tutor, you know, in a way. And uh, it was just we we both look we all look forward after a period of time to say, you know what, this is the the Wednesday night practice uh, is the is the best part of my week, you know, because I'm learning, I'm contributing, I'm flubbing. We're laughing and we're making magic. It's kind of cool. Definitely, when it works, when you have that chemistry with other players, um, it, it's never something to take for granted because it's it's definitely special. Right. Uh, one question: Did you allow the drummer to write any music? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. So that that is pretty magical. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. What, uh, when we come back. Um, what song are we going to hear, Kevin? Uh, Sacred Place. Sacred Place. And that's on the... That's on the Careless Truth CD. And all my music is out, you know, both whether it's Spotify or Apple Music, all the uh, the digital download places, as well as, you know, there are CDs around even for people who still purchase physical uh, copies of things. Great. And, well, uh, for those who are listening to this podcast, you'll see links uh, to get in touch with Kevin You'll see direct links to uh, to hear his music on Spotify and all the platforms. It'll be right there at your fingertips. And when we come back uh, after the short break, we're going to listen to one of Kevin's original songs. It's going to be a treat. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. This is Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com and the Long Island Sound Podcast. I'm here with Kevin McLeod. And Kevin, uh, why don't you introduce your song that we're going to hear next? Um, this is a tune off of my Careless Truth CD, and it's called Sacred Place. Wonderful. All right. Let's have a listen. I go down to a sacred place, prepare the ground in a sacred place. Start with one. 
really great Kevin you know I was talking to Roger Robert Miller the other day an older gentleman bass player out of New York City and he was lamenting about how people aren't writing about social justice issues and stories you know they're they're almost avoiding it to offend uh, you know whatever audience and I'm just talking about you know, the celebrity musicians out there um, we know a lot that you know from our era that, that are not afraid to speak up so um, I was in listening to your music. I was happy to hear that you uh, you know you address the issues of homelessness and politics and addiction and depression as well as uh, the, the the happier moments in life. So tell us a little bit about how the song came to you and, and uh, how it came together. Sure. Well, this particular song, "Sacred Place," I mean, it started out as kind of a love song, um, mm -hmm. but I like to write on a couple of different levels, and sometimes I'll have different inspirations also. So, um, while it started out as a kind of you know more romantic love song, I really love the poetry of Persian poets like Rumi and Hafiz, and they wrote these ecstatic love poems that you read them and you're like, well. Are they writing to their lover or are these prayers, you know, to the creator? Wow. And wow. they're they're both, really. Right, right. Um, so I kind of took that as inspiration to broaden the perspective of the song. And also um, because of the title, just thinking about... Um, how how expansive love can be, that it's not just, you know, between people, but it's all of creation it's this planet we're on it's this sure. ex whole existence that we're um so lucky to be a part of right yep it's it's interesting and and what was what comes to mind in, in just what you were talking about i'm just gonna tell you about it i was doing a an alarm survey in hicksville and it was for um and i don't remember the tradition but it was in uh an indian based uh temple and uh, they were taking over an old Jewish temple. It was pretty neat. And uh, the head guy comes in, all wonderful people. I mean, just so gracious. And they had this practice of touching the person they greet's foot in like homage. And I saw this and, and this is, wow, so it's so foreign to me. So I said, you know, I, I have to ask. I said, I'm not of your tradition. What, what does that mean? And they basically said we're honoring the god that's within you within the other person and that's the sacred place right so yes. um i think uh you know and, and it's those type of things where we recognize the humanity in everyone uh the sacred place in, in other people that can move our perspective uh to make the world a little bit better place so and, and that's where <laughs> tie it back to music 
music is a great reminder of, of how I should be and how I should recognize things. So I'll get off the pulpit here, but it's just, um, it's important. It's important what you do, Kevin, you know, um, and how it strikes people and, and you never know what's going to strike. But I would say, yeah, thank you. And I mean, yeah. this is one tune too. At the moment, there's a, a very nice lyric video out there on YouTube, um, directed by our buddy John Hamlin. Oh, this is but where we, we also, this is where we plug John. Did he send yeah, you the money? Yeah, this is the, <laughs> checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we did uh, quite a lot of film footage the day that. Uh, uh, we were together about two years ago and we got enough footage for John to do a, a pretty cool full video, you know, with me doing some poor lip syncing uh, for, for Sacred Place too. So I think in the next few weeks that should be out and uh, available on uh, on YouTube. So that's John Hamlin, correct? Correct. The John Hamlin. Um, yeah, he's been doing very well. I mean, he's uh, g got a couple of films that have gotten high praise in different film festivals, so I'm very happy for him and that he's found time in between all of that work to, to work on my little music video. Give me a little bit more behind the curtain when it comes to, okay, you've got the whole album written, you've got it kind of laid out where you want to go with it. Where do you take Are you recording this yourself on, on uh, Logic Pro or... You go to a studio. This might be, a, you know, tell me, tell me about that process for you, at least. Sure. Um, I actually have a studio right here on Long Island um, in Central Islip called Cloud Nine uh, Recording. And that's my favorite place to record. It's run by two brothers, Jack and Joe Napoli. I've done both of my CDs there. I've worked on some other folks' music there as well. Um, and I would say that for me, what makes, you know, any studio and in particular, you know, why I like to work at that studio um, so much is not just the technical aspects, right, are mm -hmm. addressed um, with real expertise, but on a personal level, you know, they kind of really take the time to get into what's your project about, what's this, you know, what's going on, what, where are you coming from, what, are you, what message are you, are you going to deliver here? Wow. And they really create um, a very creative environment for musicians to work in. So Nice, yeah, because that, that's part of it. You have to be in that environment where uh, you're going to make the magic, you know, being that's comfortable. It. And, Truly. You know, and just somebody having interest in that makes you want to perform and, and be your best. I think maybe just a little bit, but uh, that's great. That's because being cool. in a so, studio can be you know intimidating sometimes. So anything that is making you comfortable and not just comfortable, but like so that you really kind of get in the zone and can create something out of the ordinary. That's that's to be valued. Yeah, because you're you're almost like in a lab setting. Uh, yeah, you know, with the microphones and what have you. And I can imagine um, a new singer-songwriter coming into that environment. You know, you got people in a booth watching everything, checking levels, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm wondering, do you turn away towards the wall so you don't see them grimace, you know, when you <laughs> when they don't like what they're hearing? So, um, anyway, I, it's, I'm totally making this up. I have no idea. Uh, I'm not allowed in a music studio to record anything. And that's why I'm doing podcasts right here from my home because I have full control. So, so that's that. So you're a control freak. Is that what you're saying? Steve? Oh, I, I, well, absolutely. When, when my wife's not home and then uh, when, <laughs> when she's home, she's in charge. Did I say that nicely? 
Yeah, she helps. Uh, she puts the guidelines up, and uh, uh, <laughs> she's funny. A, a quick, quick another story. So the first time I played in public, I, I was singing um, "Forever Young," and I didn't know about using a, a capo properly. So you're singing in the key that's sweet to your vocal cords. Right. And, and I heard from the kitchen, "You're not Neil. You're not Bob Dylan. We, we, there's something wrong." You know, and she would, and I would, oh, I'd be horrified, and I'd grimace and say, "Damn it, she's right." And and then fi- I finally found the right key. I, I spoke to Steve Martino, who's a good friend of mine, said, yeah, you really need to be here. That's your kind of sweet spot. And he pointed to the parking lot. No, only kidding. But <laughs> it's, it's, it was fun. And uh, getting out there for the first time, and I, I wasn't a, a young fella. I was, I was scared to death because I was in front of people and uh, by myself and my guitar. Uh, but I pulled it off. And... And as a vocalist, that's important, kind of finding, you know, what is your vocal range where you, you know, are most resonant, you know, what notes can you hit that are going to sound good as you reach for them, and it's different for everybody. Yeah, and you know what, I guess, and and we found this, I found this out, another uh, person in our group was a church group, Uh, you know, they try to emulate what they hear on the radio or on a recording, and that may not be the place to be for your voice, so... uh, Uh, lesson learned for Steve Yusko. By the way, I will not be coming out with any CDs in the near future, so you can all relax. So because vinyl is the thing now, right? You got a vinyl record coming out, Steve? Yeah, yeah vinyl record coming out. It's a '78, so it won't be able to be played on too many uh, places. But um, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to hear another one of uh, Kevin's original songs. Uh, then I'd also like to talk about places that you've played, some of the unique places, and then uh, got a couple more questions for you. So, hey, everybody, I hope uh, I know you're getting a lot out of this, and I thank Kevin for this. So hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm here with Kevin McLeod. This is Steve Yusko from Gig Destiny. As you know, you've probably heard 13 times already through this podcast. And um, Kevin is going to uh, introduce another one of his songs. So... Set it up as they say, Kev. This is a song called Nobody's Friend, also from the Careless Truth release. And that, that's your latest album, correct? Yes, it is. All right. Take a listen. Nobody's friend I'm nobody's 
Thanks so much uh, for that song for me. Um, really kind of, no, no pun intended, hits home. Uh, so kind of talk about it and, and how this came about. Yeah, well, you know, I've lived in New York City for about seven years. I've worked in New York both either for my day job or playing gigs for, you know, many more years than that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen um I, I i guess the way that we don't necessarily always take care of each other so well right steve right and then i read a book by a woman named jennifer toth called the mole people okay. and basically it was about a whole series of experiences she had um, going into the subway tunnels and spending time with different homeless populations that live in the subway tunnels of manhattan Mm. And that really inspired the song. In fact, there was uh, one quote where she was, you know, talking to one group of people and 
she was kind of making the observation that, well, you know, at least it seemed like there was some kind of community there. Mm-hmm. And one guy said to her, hey, that's not necessarily the case. You know, it's rough down here. I'm nobody's friend. And that stuck with me then and became the title of the song. It's interesting. I happen to live with two women who uh, are my inspiration for social justice. One's my daughter, Faith, and the other is my wife, Debbie. And uh, my daughter, Faith, um, who worked in uh, Western Baltimore, she lived what's called lived in intentional community after um, college. And that's where you're, you're not the uh, suburban white kids going to save uh, the poor neighborhood, but you live as the neighborhood lives. Um, and she had a life-altering experience. And one of the things I picked up from her that ties into this is that a person who's homeless may not hear their own name for a long time. And if, you know, you may not want to give somebody money, everyone deserves food and warmth and a kind word, just asking what's your name and introducing yourself and engaging somebody is the simplest of blessings that you can give out to, to people who say, hey, you mean something. I'm, you know, I called you by your name has uh, has a lot of reference, uh, biblical references. But but it, when you think about it, you know, for those who feel I have no name, I'm just I'm just another you know guy on the street, you know, trying to trying to survive. Just just asking them, asking their names. You know, that's a really profound point, Steve. Really yeah. true. Yeah. So it's, it's simple. You know, a lot of people wonder, oh, what can I do? You know. Uh, I'm afraid of them, my children, you know, hey, you know what, you can engage somebody uh, and, and you, you can always walk away, right? Um, but uh, but that, that's a simple thing. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the places you play. I mean, some of the things, I'm going to go down the list here if you don't mind. So you're on West Houston Presents, which is great. And I'd love to get Wes uh, on the show someday. But you played in New York City clubs, the Way Station, the Shrine. Sidewalk, Sylvana, is that correct? Sylvana, yeah, that's another yeah. place uptown. Uh, Google's Lounge, oh, what, what was that like? Yeah, Googie's Lounge, that was upstairs oh, at the, li- I'm the living Google. room. I'm reading Google's Lounge, I'm like, wow, you play for <laughs> Google. <laughs> yeah, that was down in the East Village. Um, the living room was the larger space downstairs, but they had the smaller space upstairs where they would, you know, have smaller acts or acoustic people play. And I would go in there and do acoustic gigs. Uh, it was a fun place to play. Nice. You, play, you played in CBGB's, which is a shithole from what I understand as far as the building <laughs> goes, but very famous. Um, very famous, that, yeah. How was that? Um, and, and they had another space next door that uh, we played as well. Um, so the dressing, I tell you, the dressing room was really cool, from what I understand? <laughs> I don't know about really cool, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it was really cold. <laughs> <laughs> really filled with uh, crazy graffiti and smelling kind of bad? That would be more accurate. Oh, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so do but you have... Let's say, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say... Um, with True to Life, we used to play two places up in Harlem that I liked a lot. Sylvana and the Shrine was a great place to play. I mean, any night of the week you could see, you know, uh, diverse music um, from different bands, all great, you know, up at the Shrine, which is like 134th Street and Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. Wow. Um, 
with my current band uh, jazz group, the Tone Healers, in the summer, we have a residency um, at uh, Tappan Beach in Seacliff by the the little restaurant there. And that's wonderful. We play every Tuesday night, um, beginning the first weekend in June, ending the last week in September. And, you know, we're there every Tuesday from five until nine o'clock playing jazz. And that's just wonderful to play there in the summertime. Nice. And I've also seen you at Bartini in Babylon Village right here down the block. Yeah, Bartini's a great spot. Um, They have a number of great bands that play there. Um, I like playing there both. Sometimes the jazz group will play there, but I typically play there every couple of months with my rock band too so you know if you come down to bartini and hear the rock band you get to hear the music that's on uh, the kevin mcleod cds nice you know it's a, we touched on this um off off the podcast but uh you know a friend of mine uh, mike mike nugent was lamenting about the uh the error of the tribute band uh and you know guys have to make a, a living out there um but you know finding venues that are willing to do original music. Um, I mean, we had it all the time back in the day, like in, in the in the 80s, you know, it, it, there were a lot of bands out there that were doing original music. Uh, it's you're a little hard pressed to find it, but, you know, places like Barkini's that allow you to, you know, you'll, you'll do a mix of other stuff, some, uh, you know, um, some uh, covers and what have you, but it's, it's nice uh, to, to find the places that, that do this take the chance on it you know absolutely you know because that's that's the way you get your exposure that's the way uh you get to uh collaborate with other people and and you know people hear what you're doing and you get an introduction and you know you never know where it's going to go who you're going to get introduced to so um you've been very fortunate from my perspective as i you know we were saying before too i i always enjoy hearing an original band i even if a band is playing a bunch of covers I always, like my ears perk up if they say, Hey, we're going to play something that we wrote, you know, to me, right. that's where it gets interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, it's amazing. The need, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know, but the need to create, you know, and, and, and deliver something that's never existed before and having it touch other people, um, is really great. So it's just, uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of special. So my hope in the Long Island sound, Hey, we're going to discover a lot of things in this podcast. Um, a lot of different types of genres and music. That's why I really appreciate, you know, Kevin having uh, you on on the program because of your diversity, uh, your diversity in writing and your diversity in genres is, is kind of cool. It's not it's not always available in the people you meet. So I, I want to thank you. Um, anyway, uh, I think we should leave some more for people to want more to the next podcast. Uh, Kevin, I thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you have uh, where you're playing next uh, up, or we can post things? Uh, post things yeah, I would say look at the website, kevinmcleodband.com. I typically have anything for any of the uh, the musical projects I'm working on posted there. And, you know, if you find a link over to Facebook, you know, uh, friend me or something, and eventually, you know, you'll see, uh, you know, different alerts for whenever the bands are doing something interesting. That's great. Again, thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate your time. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Be well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. 
I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Until next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.